This is Dina Weiss on Parashat Vayeshev, on being present. After his brothers sell Yosef, they smear his special coat with blood and bring it to their father. When Yaakov is presented with the bloody coat, he appears to reach the conclusion that his sons are leading him toward, that Yosef has been killed. However, rabbinic sources teach us that in his heart of hearts, Yaakov knew that Yosef was still alive. Yaakov's subconscious awareness of his son speaks deeply to what it means to be alive and present in the mind and heart of another. Similarly, though Yosef is far away in Egypt, sold and abandoned by his brothers, he does not forget his father and lives his life accompanied by his father's image. Yosef's holding on to his father in this way demonstrates how powerful even the imagined presence of another person can be. Not only does this presence have emotional impact, it can also play a critical role in developing and nurturing one's religious integrity. Yaakov's response to the blood-drenched cloak of his son is heart-wrenching. Vayakira vayomer ketonet bini tarof toraf yosef. He recognized it and said, That is the coat of my son. An evil beast has eaten him. Yosef is devoured. When Yaakov says that a beast has consumed his son, the reader assumes that he means that an animal of prey has torn apart and killed his child. However, according to Rashi, Yaakov does not declare his son dead at all. Rashi comments that the evil beast that Yaakov is referring to is not an actual wild animal, but rather a woman, the wife of Yosef's master, Potiphar. The devouring here is not literal. It is metaphorical and refers to her attempts to seduce Yosef. A prophetic spirit sparked in Yaakov that the wife of Yosef's master, Potiphar, will eventually attack him. According to Rashi, Yaakov's words are equivocal. Yaakov speaks simultaneously of his son as both dead and alive. Yaakov's explicit statement is that his son has been killed, devoured by a terrible animal. But at the same time, he is implicitly referencing a calamity that will befall Yosef in the future. There is a spark of the prophetic in him, some part of his soul that knows that Yosef is still in danger, which means that on a subconscious level, he knows that Yosef is still alive. Rashi's comment is likely motivated by a desire to reconcile Yaakov's reaction here with his later refusal to be comforted over Yosef's supposed death. Although an extensive mourning period has passed, Yaakov's grief does not abate. All of his sons and all of his daughters got up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, I will go to the underworld, that is, die, still mourning my son. And his father cried over him. According to Rashi, the reason why Yaakov will not, 
or perhaps better, cannot be comforted, is because Yosef is not truly gone. Yaakov does not know in any conscious way that Yosef is still alive, but he senses it. Something will not allow him to move on. On verse 35, Rashi comments, Ein adam mekabel tanchumin alachai v'savor shemit, she'al hamet nigzera gzera she'ishtakach min halev, v'lo alachai. A person does not accept condolences for someone who is alive, but he thinks is dead. For regarding the dead, it is decreed that he should be forgotten from the heart, but not regarding the living. Yaakov both knows and doesn't know that Yosef is alive. He acts like a mourner and talks like a mourner, but his words have a double meaning, and his actions betray the truth. Yosef is missing, but he is still alive. His brothers never say that he is dead. His father never says that he is dead. And we, the readers, know exactly where he is. Though Rashi does not make this explicit, there is a linguistic link between the two moments where Yaakov betrays some knowledge about his son's actual condition. When Yaakov won't be comforted, the text says, Vayema'ein, that he refused. And when Yosef refuses the advances of Potiphar's wife, the devouring animal to whom Yaakov prophetically refers, the text says about Yosef, Vayema'ein, and he refused. The repeated presence of this unusual verb allows Rashi to link these moments and say that Yaakov refuses to believe that Yosef is dead because he sees Yosef himself refusing in the future. Yet there is another, more spectacular reason why Yaakov is said to have prophetic access to this future incident. In a manner of speaking, Yaakov was there. In the Gemara, Rabbi Yochanan makes the bold claim that though Yosef does refuse to sleep with Potiphar's wife, he came very close to succumbing to her advances. Yosef was completely prepared to sin with another man's wife, and the only thing that kept him from going through with his plan was that he sensed the presence of his father. It was on that day that Yosef came home to do his work, and there was no other person from the household there at home. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan said this verse teaches that both of them intended to sin. She grabbed him by his clothing, saying, Sleep with me. And he abandoned his clothing in her hand, and he ran outside. Amarlo, Yosef, Atidin Achecha, Sheikhtavu al Avne Ephor, Viata Benehem, Ritonchash Yimachash Shemacha mi Benehem, Vitikare Roezonot. At that time, the image of his father came and appeared to him in the window. He said, Yosef, in the future your brothers will be inscribed on the stones of the breastplate, and you are among them. Do you want your name to be erased from among them? and be called a shepherd of whores? According to Rashi, 
Yaakov is subliminally sensitive to the dangerous situation that his son is in. And according to this Gemara, somehow that care, the sense that his father has not given up on him, makes its way into Yosef's psyche. Yosef's ability to summon the face of his father is not unrelated to the fact that his father does not sever the connection between them. Yaakov and Yosef do not forget each other. They are still alive to one another. Even though Yosef does not know if and when he'll encounter his father again, his father's paternal visage, his stern voice, and his counsel still resonate in Yosef's mind. Yaakov's experience is not entirely unique to him. Although it is unusual that someone who is considered to be dead will be later found alive, it is quite commonplace for us to feel connected to loved ones who are departed. The dead are often very much alive to those who know them, love them, and think about them. Rabbi Shlomo Ephraim Lunchitz, best known for his Kliakar commentary, discusses this reality in his collection of Drashot, Ololot Ephraim. He explores the tension between the extensive biblical and rabbinic expectations of mourning, which exist alongside strong prohibitions on mourning in excess. Why are we required to mourn, but not allowed to mourn too much? The Ololot Ephraim suggests that extreme mourning practices are prohibited because they misrepresent death and exaggerate its power. He explains that the Jewish belief in the eternality of the soul means that people only pass away in part. Why mourn something that isn't truly gone? To mourn excessively implies that death is more final than it is. On the other hand, because some remnant of a deceased person still lives on, this keeps a person from having complete distance and closure. So some mourning is necessary. We mourn because we feel estranged from something that still exists, but exists so far away from where we are. According to this understanding, what Rashi said about how Yaakov feels about Yosef can be applied to any loss. The dead are only gone if we no longer hold on to them. When something or someone is completely gone, you experience the pain and then move on from it. But often a person's soul, their impact on us and the legacy they leave keeps them from being forgotten. They continue to influence our behavior and choices. We still love them, and they, in turn, can still make us feel loved. The person has disappeared or departed, but hasn't fully died. The extent of our mourning reflects this. Yaakov's experience speaks to more than just him and his son. It sheds light on the broader experience of loss. Yosef's experience is also one that we can relate to. When Yosef summons the image of his father, he is engaging in a technique for avoiding sin that we would be wise to emulate. The Torah Tamima argues that Rabbi Yochanan's claim that Yosef was willing to sin with Potiphar's wife is based upon the fact that Yosef put himself in a situation where he could get away with adultery when there was no one else at home. The absence of other people is what would have made the sin possible. 
This insight is critical to understanding why the image of his father's face saves Yosef. Since it was the absence of other people which made the sin likely, the way that he saves himself from actually falling prey to his desires is by imagining that someone else, his father, is there. Moreover, it is not that Yaakov's face simply came unbidden into Yosef's imagination. Summoning his father was a technique that Yosef used in order to avoid sin. This strategy of imagining that someone else is watching is available to anyone and is highly recommended by the Baal Shem Tov. According to the Baal Shem Tov, people are naturally afraid of what other people think of them and might see them doing wrong. He says that this feeling should not be dismissed as a low form of morality. I'm only afraid of what other people think. I don't have any integrity or moral backbone. Instead, he frames our fear of other people's judgment as a gift from God. When a person comes to sin or do something repulsive, God forbid, a fear falls upon him. And he says, hopefully no person will see me, as it says in the Gemara. This is the clothing of the divine spark. The Blessed One himself contracts his fear upon this person to guard him from this repulsive sin. The fear that we have of how others will perceive us may be a fairly base morality, but it is something that we can grab onto when we need support in doing the right thing. We would not be afraid of someone else seeing us do something wrong if we didn't already know in our hearts that it was wrong. Our own sense of what is right is blocked or buried. Our fear of God and our knowledge of what is right is manifesting as a fear of human beings and what they might find out about us. We think that we are refraining from poor behavior only because other people might see us and we think of this as a weakness of character. The Baal Shem Tov teaches that this is actually strength of character in disguise. It is our own moral instincts, our own conscience speaking in someone else's voice. It is Joseph's looking into the mirror of his soul and seeing the face of his father instead of his own. Yosef is aware that he is about to do the wrong thing, and he knows that it is wrong even without his father's being there to tell him so. Yet, the way that he is able to find the strength to do what he needs to is by calling on the fear that his father will see him and call him to task. And Yosef's ability to imagine his father is reflected in his father's refusal to forget him. They are physically separated for 22 years, but emotionally connected for the entire duration despite the distance. Yosef and Yaakov are bound to each other, and their love and respect for one another has an impact on how they both behave. Yosef doesn't want to disappoint his father because he knows that his father loves him, expects better from him, and hasn't given up on him. 
The more we care about other people, the more we care about what they think about us. This is not a weakness. This is a strength. We make each other want to be better people. This is a blessing. We should be leveraging our relationships with those we love and allow them to make us even more loving, even more moral, even more ourselves. And we need to be aware of and responsible with the role that our presence plays in the lives of those who care about us. People who love us will look to us for validation. We should communicate to the people we love that we are proud of them, that we are there for them, that we approve. And we should be proud of ourselves for the critical role that we play, often unwittingly, in someone else's quest for and actualization of their best self. Wishing you a Shabbat with those you love and those who care about you, whether in this world or beyond it. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to our weekly Divrei Torah. To see more from our archive, please visit hadar.org slash Torah.